Busy Birds. Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Did you know that there are five large subtropical gyres in the ocean that is accumulation zones of plastic and that plastic trapped in these currents can take 10 years to cycle back out if it's not eaten by marine life or have not sunk to the bottom. Our guest today is an environmental scientist, educator, and author committed to building stronger companies through art, science, adventure, and activism. He's the co-founder of Five Gyres and Leap Lab. He has also written one of the most comprehensive scientific articles on marine plastic pollution, partly based on his own experiences. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Dr. Marcus Erickson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. So how did your sustainable journey actually start? You know, if I had to really go back to the beginning, it would be when I was... uh, Back in 1991, remember when the, when the United States went to war in, in Kuwait, in Iraq, to liberate Kuwait? Yes. I was one of the Marines on the ground. And I remember sitting in a hole in the sand in just outside Kuwait City during the war, thinking, if I survive this, I'm going to raft the Mississippi River in my home country, like Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer, if I survive it. It's going to have that personal adventure. And I did that. I spent five months on that amazing river, and I saw a never-ending trail of plastic trash. I thought, you know, what's what's worth fighting for in life? And it came to to conservation human rights as what I believe are worth putting your neck on the line for. And that was back in 2003. So a few years later, it's when I met my wife, Anna Cummins. And in 2008, we had our first expedition. And the whole world was talking about plastics in the oceans and garbage patches, all these things. But no one had been there. No one had been there to research where is this trash in the oceans? How much is out there? Uh, What kind of stuff is it? What's the impact it's having? So in 2008, we launched our first expedition. We've done 20 expeditions so far. We've published research. Organization turns science into solutions. We work with the private sector looking at innovative materials and and packaging alternatives and systems that deliver goods in different ways. So our our goal has been science of solutions. But began with me very personally seeing this 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 war I was involved in over fossil fuels and turning that experience into a positive to defend nature and people. Wow, what a journey. Jeez. So that kind of also led you to start the organization that you did. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, the organization, the Five Gyres Institute, it's named after the five oceanic gyres. So a gyre is just a, a, a rotation of currents. 
For example, in the, the, the North Atlantic, any plastic entering from Europe or from the United States will enter this clockwise rotation of currents that sweep the entire North Atlantic. In the Pacific, North Pacific, the same thing. I live here in Los Angeles. Some piece of trash leaving Los Angeles, a plastic bottle, for example, give it five or six years, and it could float all the way to Japan. The same thing happens in the three southern hemisphere gyres, the South Atlantic, South Pacific, Indian Ocean. So these five gyres, there was all this talk about ocean plastics, but no one had been there. So we decided we were going to do it. We, we chartered boats, we built our own equipment, and we began doing research. And it's been this amazing experience of seeing the issue firsthand that there are no garbage patches, meaning a consolidated mass of trash. It's more like a, a smog of small particles of plastics. And there are trillions of these small bits of plastics everywhere on the globe. Wow. So that kind of brings me to the next question, because it's also, it's not just about plastics, but now we are getting to learn more about microplastics. And that is really affecting the environment. It's also affecting our health. If you have to tell us in like a nutshell, what is microplastics? Because I still think there's a lot of people that don't really understand what that is. But, you know, we all see plastic bottles and we see all sorts of other plastic materials on the beaches and in the oceans. But no one is really looking at these microplastics. Well, the microplastics, there are two kinds. There are primary and secondary. Primary are designed small particles, like what goes into some face, face washes Lots of cleansers, you'd be amazed at many face cleansers that, that have these abrasive properties. That's actually plastic. It's designed microplastics. Also pellets. When I was in Dubai a few years ago, I found so many plastic pellets. It's the industrial feedstock. Uh, when you take oil or fossil fuels, you make plastic, you make a pellet, and that gets shipped to manufacturers to make stuff. Pellets are found worldwide. And I found so many on the, in, the, in the Gulf of Arabia on the coast of uh, Qatar and Dubai, Oman and Kuwait. Um, but then there's secondary microplastics, the different kind, and those are made, are produced by the breakdown of everything else on the planet. The bottles, the bags, the cups, the straws, all the single-use stuff, buckets and crates, fishing nets. As they begin to fragment in the sunlight, they create microplastics, secondary microplastics. And most microplastics, by far, are secondary. And when it's that small, and it means, microplastic means like five millimeters and smaller, as big as a lentil or a grain of rice, the cleanup of that is really economically unfeasible. It tells us that all the solutions are really upstream at the point of production, the point of making stuff. If, you, if you're going to make something in plastic, you've got to have a way to get it back for your consumer that's very efficient, that works. And for single-use plastics, Nothing has worked. When I discovered that I'm releasing microplastics every time I do my laundry as well, that was like, whoa, I didn't mean to put all these plastic in the water stream. But, you know, it's things that people don't really know. So that's kind of made me think about the clothing that I buy to make sure that, you know, if I do have stuff that is not made from a natural fiber, 
that I wash it in my guppy friend bag or, you know, you put a cara ball in the laundry just to kind of capture these microplastics because once it's in that water stream, it's super, super hard to actually get out. Exactly. And, you know, microfibers is a whole different uh, sector of plastic waste in textiles, in clothing and in tarps and, and the sails on boats. Those microplastics are hard to get back to the environment. So how do you solve the textiles? You know, getting rid of single-use plastics, we can do. And that's happening around the world. For textiles, very different. Every human being at least has a few articles of clothing, if not a closet full. So 8 billion people, there are 80 plus billion garments out there being washed now and then, producing fibers. So the things that you can do, you can go to natural materials. I call it waste, weave, wear. And if you look at those, how we deal with textile waste, if companies making textiles can put a bounty to say, we want those textiles back, you get a hole in your pants, bring them back, we'll fix them, we'll repair it, or we'll recycle the polymer. There are some companies who are doing that, take back systems. The weave, how you make a garment. We have a technology to make a garment from one long piece of string, one single fiber that has a less of a chance to break down the smaller microfibers. There are some better weave technologies, how we manage waste, how we deal with the weave, but also how we wear our clothing. In some cultures, like in the United States, if, you're, if your piece of clothing touches just the ground for a split second, people think, oh, I gotta wash it. And you don't. You can, wa- you, you can wait, you can wash things when they really are dirty and need washing, hand washing. The way you wash things makes sense. Top load washing machines are much more aggressive on your clothing than front wash washing machines. A lot more fibers when you, when you have a top wash washing machine. So how you wash it, how they'll kind of weave, how you wear it, and, and how the waste is managed can all help us mitigate microfiber waste. Wow, some really great tips as well for anyone that's looking for a washing machine. Maybe try to buy secondhand, but do try to go for the front loader as well. I didn't realize that that makes such a difference. So it's great to know that. And coming back to the plastic pollutions in our oceans, like we've got about 8 million metric tons of plastic that enter our ocean every single year. And it's got some massive effects on the environment. And you've done a lot of research. You've just mentioned you've done over 20 exhibitions. So how would you describe the current state of the oceans? You know, it's interesting. The ocean responds very quickly to any kind of policy, anything that stops the flow of trash from land to sea or from sea to sea. Give me an example. In 1988, there was an international agreement called MARPOL. And MARPOL is Marine Pollution International Policy. It said dumping at sea is illegal. So big ships, big navies, big fishing fleets, they stopped dumping trash. Cities stopped taking their trash offshore and dumping it. We saw a decrease in floating trash in the early 90s, thanks to policy. So while the oceans are impacted and the microfibers, we find those everywhere in Arctic snow, and along the equator, in every river, every seaway, we find microfibers. We find microplastics. The smog of our seas are trillions of microplastic particles. But if we can focus on stopping the input, MARPOL exists for ocean dumping. But what, what policy exists for river dumping, rivers that are pumping trash into oceans? What I think should happen now to save our oceans and let them have time to recover is an international policy 
that puts limits on how much plastic can be in the world's rivers. I think if we could do that, we would see a significant drop in ocean pollution. The ocean will heal itself if we leave it alone and give it respect. I have visited so many marine protected areas where we treat like a national park on land, a park in the ocean where we have no fishing, no take zone, just swim and enjoy the ocean. When you do that, the fish populations come back. The biomass, the weight of fish is off the charts. So I think as soon as we can protect our oceans, and that's done through policy, the ocean will recover. And the impacts that we see on marine mammals, on turtles, on seabirds, and there are well over a thousand species that have been impacted by plastics, interactions of plastic trash and species, thousands. If we can create these policies that stop the flow from land to sea, we will see much, much less suffering and our ocean will begin to recover. Well, that is something that we definitely need to consider. So we need to, I feel we need to make our voices heard and by voting, not only by casting the vote, but also the way we spend our money, you know, we cast that vote every single day. And I think the more people that is demanding options that is not single use items in the first place, because I feel instead of us trying to clean the ocean every single day, we should also focus on not putting that trash in the ocean in the first place. That can be done by organizations that also step up. And, you know, if governments are not making these policies, then I think it's wonderful if organizations go and start making these changes and kind of force others to do the same because that is something that I feel is really, really helping one thing that I'm really excited about is also Loop that just launched in New York and Paris because that will have a massive effect. You know, if that goes mainstream, then, you know, we're going to have so many people buying their food in reusable jars and, you know, it's just at the click of the button. So it is possible, but, you know, we kind of need the numbers for more people to do that. Exactly. The innovation needs the support, the consumer support. Like you said, you vote with your with your dollar. And, you know, it's not just, you know, uh, you yourself personally taking responsibility, but it's putting pressure on the brands and on your policymakers to say, we don't want the single use plastics. I do not want for, for my daughter and her entire generation to live in a world that is that is trashed. I grew up in a, in a rural space where I had access to wild nature. And it, for me, it just, it, it developed the person I am. It, it created my values and I still can go back to that nature and find joy. And I do not want that place trash the next generation. So it's, it's the policy. It's voting with your dollar or with your, with your funds, whatever, wherever country you are in the world. It's how you consume. It's how you vote. That's going to make the big difference. And there's the innovations are happening. You mentioned loop. Innovations are happening. It's going to let the public know they can support it. You guys have done a lot of research and what would you say is some of the most like common items that you would find in the ocean? It depends on where in the ocean you go. If you go really far, far offshore in the middle of the ocean, it's mostly fishing gear. Because fishing gear is designed to last. The fishing buoys are very thick. The nets are very strong. They don't break down very easily. What's not out there are the single-use plastics because they fragment so quickly. But when you, when you do your, your, your sampling near shore, rivers are pumping out single-use plastics. I don't know how many 
thousands and thousands of plastic bags and bottles and bottle caps and straws and couplets I have found in the near shore environment, in rivers, leaving rivers, on beaches, blowing off of beaches, near the coastlines. You find single-use stuff. Near the ocean, you find lots of fishing gear. You know, when we look at now, you know, a lot of places is banning single-use plastics. Typically, when you go to a lot of like restaurants or cafes that is like trying to be sustainable, we find that their single-use packaging has got the words like recyclable, biodegradable, compostable. And, you know, it kind of is a clever way for these people to kind of advertise that, you know, they're trying to do something sustainable. But, you know, the more we kind of learn about that, the more there's so much confusion. I wanted to kind of hear your thoughts about this, because a lot of people think when they get a straw that says, hashtag, I'm not plastic, you know, I'm so sustainable today. And they kind of give themselves a pat on the back. And, you know, so it's things like that that really sometimes upset me as well. What is your thoughts on that? So there are a lot of bioplastics out there. And those are, those, are, those are plastics made from green chemistry, but there is so much greenwashing. To say the words, we are compostable, people think that that means in their backyard, in their compost bin. And compostable, the standard for the word means an industrial setting where your city has a system to collect it, sort it, transport it, grind it, and make it smaller and put into a mountain of yard trimmings or other rotting vegetation to then hopefully degrade. And I tell you, most places don't do it. In the United States, uh, the state of Oregon just said no more bioplastics. They don't perform the way the companies say they do. So I think most bioplastics are a lot of greenwashing. But there is one that I'm excited about. It's called PHA, PHA. And it's made from bacteria. It's not plant-based, it's bacteria-based. And it has a standard for marine degradability. And I got a piece of that film to show you. So this is from, uh, from PepsiCo. PepsiCo, most known as a beverage company, they have over 200 brands. And they're using this one material called PHA to make uh, wrappings for potato chips. I've taken this, put it in my backyard compost, and it disappears. Wow. It goes away. I took a thick beach toy made from PHA and I put it under a fishing dock in an experiment for two years. It disappeared. But the PLA stuff, the, the plant based plastics, in two years, they were still there. Wow. I took it in my backyard, the same two year spread. I put PHA and PLA. The PLA, the plant based plastics, were still there in two years. The PHA was gone. So, not all biomaterials, bioplastics are the same. PHA is a new one. It works. PLA, been around for a while. It doesn't work. Awesome. Well, that's definitely something to look at. Yeah, at the very least, they get you off of fossil fuels, which I think is extremely important. In my background in, in, in being in the military and being in Kuwait, resource wars for fossil fuels are just flat out wrong. At least the biomaterials get us off of fossil fuels. That is true. How can we, like our crazy birds, get involved into, um, you know, making more of a difference? You know, again, it's like you said, it's voting with your, uh, with your consumerism, like what you buy, where you buy, the kinds of things that you purchase, and also making a conscious choice to purchase less, to, to refuse 
the plastic habit. And then, you know, I, I, I urge folks to get involved. Do something that, that's very active. And you can. You can get involved in organizations that raise awareness, political organizations that, that, that pressure policymakers to, to pass the right legislation. I know in many parts of the world, including Dubai and the United States, uh, the UAE, there is a, there's a push to fix a solution once it's a problem. Let's pick up more trash on the roadside and let's try to recycle more. We know those two things are really inefficient. Exactly. But policymakers, they often say, okay, we'll just recycle. Doesn't work. Pressuring them with knowledge and with, with, an, uh, with a lot of the public saying, no, we want upstream preventative solutions. So it's doing it yourself in your home. I urge people to look at your grocery list and see how can I avoid the packaging? And then join, join a group, join a team, and meet with your policymakers to say, here's a world we want. Recycling is not going to get us there. Burning trash is not going to get us there. The prevention will. So, Marcus, one of the things I actually ask some of our crazy birds on Instagram what questions they would like to ask you. And there's one question. Well, there were so many, I had to select only one. And I would like to ask you that question. So that is from Denise. Thank you so much, Denise from South Africa. She wanted to know, what is some of the most shocking plastic discoveries that you have made? One of the shocking, I have to go outside to show you. <laughs> but, you know, I had a chance to go to Qatar and Kuwait and Oman uh, and UAE studying plastics in the Gulf of Arabia. And I met a veterinarian in Dubai and he said, want to see plastics come with me we went in the desert and we were finding these piles of white bones and they were from camels that had naturally died in the desert i don't know how naturally because as we dug into the rib cage we pulled out giant masses of rope and plastics there's wow. one i have it must weigh 30 kilos and it must have at least three to four thousand plastic bags all tangled up that were inside one camel's stomach and I want to show you one of these things. It's in my, my garage. The signal holds. So look up right here. You see this mass right there? Oh, my god! I got goodness. it hanging. It's a tangled ball of, of netting, a lot of plastic bags in there. That's from one camel. And I've got five of these things now where we're actually working a research paper to say, you know, if we love camels, and they are very, very important charismatic megafauna, we say, to many countries uh, around the world, if we love these animals, why are, we, why are we still using plastic bags when they escape our garbage cans, they escape waste management, and they harm wildlife? Stop using the bag. And here's another reason. This silly thing right here that's causing harm in the desert outside Dubai. Wow. We can do better. One of the most shocking things I've seen yeah, I mean, like for us, we go camping in the desert quite often. Well, not as often as I would love to. But yeah, whenever we go, you know, as you're driving around in the desert, you would just see like all of these like random plastic bags being placed. And that's obviously someone that camped there for the evening or had like a barbecue and literally picked up all of their trash, put it in the bag and just left it there. You know, then you would typically get these camels that's walking around and then they eat these plastics, which for me, it's really terrible. And I wish there was more that we can do instead of just organizing desert cleanups and beach cleanups that we take own responsibility 
and just pick up after ourselves and, you know, try to avoid the bags, like pack it in a, in a container and throw it away when you get home. Yes, yes. And you think, you know, plastic bags blowing across the desert, you're not going to clean up all the plastic bags in the desert. Definitely. They're going to go for miles and miles and miles. So the economics of doing that, it does not reduce the harm. But working in a preventative capacity by getting rid of plastic bags and going to natural materials, there are all kinds of ways to, to, to move your, your goods from the grocery store to your home without the legacy of plastic waste. When I was there in the desert outside Dubai, I saw so much evidence of people who were littering, a lot of plastic waste. But then, you know, any fence that we drove by just had a wall of plastic bags stuck on it. And I saw them flying out of garbage cans in the city. They're hard to contain. And once they get lost, their the economics do not make sense to go out and get them. You can't get the volunteers to cover hundreds of thousands of square kilometers of desert to try and pick up bags. Just to stop using them. We have smarter ways to move our goods from the grocery store to your car to your home. Exactly. I always say, and I do sometimes forget my my reusable bags, but then I have two options. I can just put everything in the trolley because I always have the bags in my car. So I just bag them when I get to the car. Or a lot of these grocery stores actually have boxes. So you can, if you forgot your bag, ask for a box. When you come back to the store, you can even, you know, drop off the box or, you know, try to reuse the box as many times as possible. Don't just use it once and then recycle it because that's kind of what we've come to do. Try and reuse it as many times and give give the box to someone else to use as well or bring it back to the store. Because I think, you know, that is something that some of the stores could really do, you know, have their pile of box in front and instead of a plastic bag. One more thing that I wanted to ask you is about your artwork as well, because that's something that I'm very interested in as well. So how did that start? And like, what, what exactly do you do with that? No, I have, a, I have a background doing mostly science, but I see art as a way of communicating science. Not everyone is going to read one of the, the very dry research papers that I write. So when we took all the plastic we have found around the world, and I melted it into, into little small squares about this big and made, took 500 of those, made a map of the world so that I would show people this is the actual stuff I found in the middle of the ocean on beaches worldwide and show this big, beautiful map. Another piece I recently displayed at a gallery, I took one of those camel stomach gastroliths and I balanced it in the air on a long pole. Another end was a, a tangled mass of fishing gear. And that was balanced with 200 cigarette lighters I pulled out of bird stomachs. And there was this giant thing that was wobbling, it was a giant mobile hanging from the ceiling. And, I, and the communication is the whole world is trying to reset the natural balance with the influx of plastic, which has never existed in 3.5 billion years of life on Earth. So for me, those examples of art, art that communicates science in a way that science can't do. So art and science, are there's no difference in my mind between the two. They both support each other and both are necessary to communicate to everyone. Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, art was actually what got me into my sustainable journey. Like if you have a look at the, these pieces here I behind me. That. So they're all made with some form of a recycled materials. And, you know, I try my best to also like educate people through the materials that I've, 
used. And it all started like with the Nespresso capsules because we used the machine and then I was like, whoa, we've got so many. And then when I started using it in like I had a lamp that I made, I used about 900 capsules for it. And then, you know, the more I did research in it, I was like, wow, okay, but, you know, this is the Nespresso capsules, but we also have plastic bottles. That's an issue. And then I tried to do an art piece with plastic water bottles. So like, I think the one that you see like here, this piece is all plastic water bottles and the wrappers. So, you know, for me, it's, it's really, really interesting that I can also take some of these things and portray it into something that looks good, but also that kind of spreads a message as well. It's important. Yeah. As I say, you know, science can't do it alone. And it takes, it takes artists, scientists, policymakers, educators, soccer moms, everyone to contribute their, their part. And that's how you shift. That's how you move culture. I was amazed when we discovered microbeads, those small microplastics and facial scrubs, we discovered those in the Great Lakes, and we published a research paper on it back in 2013. Two years later, after everyone came on board, artists, videographers, policymakers, organizations everywhere said, we got to ban the beads. Within two years, former President Obama signed the Microbead Free Waters Act, a federal bill wow. based on finding this product in the Great Lakes. That's so amazing. I, it, it takes coalitions of everyone, artists and scientists and everyone together to make these, uh, these bills, these legislative acts stick. So what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? One of my more important decisions, you know, it's hard to prioritize which one they all are. One was going to be a, a one car family and using an electric car getting rid of single-use plastics in our life in every every way, tearing up the green grass in my lawn and going with wood chips and more local landscaping, planting food. I think buying uh, carbon credits whenever I travel, whenever I fly. In the plastic space, it has been, um, for me, it's being engaged in the policy front. And then, you know, as a consumer, just not buying into the single-use plastic habit completely kicking plastic. That's quite quite a lot of stuff that you've done. Wonderful. I'm so proud of what you've been doing and also with your, your whole organization as well. And now we are going to move into our final five. So the first one is, what is one social media account or publication that you follow? Besides my own, <laughs> Upstream. There's a group called Upstream. Upstream Policy Project, they are, do a lot of work on packaging, and I love what they do. Awesome. Science-based activism. Cool. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? My hope is that we as a global civilization can understand that we live in a very, very small little blue marble in the middle of the universe, this, this little planet of ours, our home, and that it is, it's very possible. The technology exists. It's a matter of will to make sure everything we do doesn't have a lasting negative impact. We're not there right now, but, but I feel confident we'll get there and it will be for the benefit of the next generation. They'll love us for it. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? 
advice I can give you right now is to look at how you can kick the plastic habit and get off of all the single-use throwaway plastics and spread the word and lead by example. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? I, I will ask people, what do you want for the next generation? What's the legacy you want? What is the meaning and the lasting impression that you want to leave behind? What's the purpose of your life? Do you want to have a legacy of, of harm, having stuck to the status quo? Or is there a way for, for you to, to lead by example, to, to adopt some of the sustainable practices and have your, parents, have your kids look at you when you're, when you're older and say, thank you, rather than say, why? And where can people find you? FiveGyres.org. The number five, G-Y-R-E-S dot org. Learn all about how to kick the single-use plastic habit. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much for everything that you're doing and for being on the podcast as well. I really appreciate it. Yeah, just just keep on keep on fighting this fight because what you guys are doing is really making a difference. My pleasure. Great to meet you. I love your artwork oh, and and these collaborations that you never know where they go. So it's a pleasure to meet you and thank you for having me on the, the podcast. You're most welcome. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at mamaearthtalk.com. Follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at mamaearthtalk.com. And let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about. I love hearing from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every Monday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.